Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to The Reset with me, Sam Delaney, the podcast that's about mental health, but without all the bollocks. My guest this week is former West Ham, Man City and Everton footballer, Mark Ward. Wardy was a dynamic and skillful winger in the West Ham team of the mid-80s that came within a whisker of winning the league. That was when I was 11 years old and totally obsessed with West Ham. Mark was one of my heroes back then. I even genuinely had a picture of him on my wall. Years later, I met him a couple of times socially through a mate of a mate. Then, in 2005, I got a phone call that I'll never forget. I answered and a voice on the other end of the line said, Sam, it's Mark Wald here. I'm in prison and I need your help. Like a lot of footballers of the pre-Premier League era, adapting to life after retirement from the game had been very tough for Wardy. He'd made some bad decisions, fallen in with the wrong crowd and, cut a long story short, he agreed to rent out a flat in his own name on behalf of a local drug dealer in Liverpool. Mark never even went to the flat himself, but he was paid a weekly wage to be the front man. When police raided it, they found £700,000 worth of cocaine. Wardy took the rap and was handed an eight-year prison sentence. He asked me to write a story in the paper that gave his side of the story. He didn't want to make any excuses, just to tell the truth about the mistakes he'd made. So I wrote the story in The Observer, and after that, we stayed in touch throughout his prison sentence, writing letters to one another. It was weird being the prison pen pal of one of your boyhood heroes at first, but soon I stopped thinking of him that way and just saw the human side of Wardy, a normal bloke who'd made mistakes, he'd tasted stardom and success, but he'd struggled to adapt to life after that. He's been out of prison now for over 10 years and we always stay in touch. Long before this stuff became fashionable, Mark Ward has always been really honest and open about mental health and the struggles he's faced personally. It was a pleasure to catch up with him and hear his story once again, and I hope you enjoy it. Mark, welcome to The Reset. 
Yeah, good evening, Sam. Good to hear your voice once again. Yeah, it's good to catch up with you, mate. What I'm really interested in, Mark, is what the experience is like mentally and emotionally after retiring as a top-flight footballer. How do you adapt from those massive highs you must get from scoring goals in front of thousands and thousands of fans singing your name to the next day sort of almost just being back on Civvy Street? What's that like? That's a great question, Sam. And it's, uh, a lot of players have struggled, you know, especially in my era, after, after you know, football retirement. And I think me more than anybody, as you know, really struggled. But uh, until it happens to you, you know, age, age catches up with you. Your body's not the same. And, uh, you know, after having a great career, uh, tried to stay in the game as long as I could. Player manager at Altingham, uh, just hanging on to a game of football, really. And then all of a sudden, like you say, the switches turned off and you wake up in the morning and you haven't got football. Mm. So what you do, uh, well, I, <laughs> I did what a lot of footballers did in the 60s and 70s and bought a pub. And uh, really, I think that was the, the downfall for me, really. Uh, it wasn't a good idea. And uh, when you haven't got the discipline of getting up every morning to train, uh, to go in to see all your, you know, all your teammates, you know, speak to everybody on a day-to-day basis, and it just—it's a massive void. People don't understand if you don't if you don't plan for life after football, uh, which I didn't, and a lot of players have not in the past. Then you know it can really uh, smack it in the face, and things can can you know slowly. Uh, you know, I got into trouble, as you know, but you know your life can slowly go downhill. Is it? I hear a lot of players say that it's what, what you miss more than the adulation from the fans. It's just like the day-to-day camaraderie with teammates. Is is that? Do you do you sort of suddenly feel a bit lonely by comparison? Exactly, because obviously I left school at sixteen. I was an apprentice at Everton. You know, in them days, you had to clean the boots. That you know, the first teamers' boots, and I do everything for them uh, for two years, and uh, so that was good ground. And then I become a professional. So. You know, by the time 36 comes around, that's all I've known. You know, football, football. So you're right about the camaraderie. Uh, you miss that so much, uh, the banter. But to me, it was the discipline sort of side of things of having, you know, something to aim for at the end of the week, a game of football, uh, to go in and do your best every day in training, to impress the manager. Even at, you know, a later stage of your career, you've still got to be as good as you or, you know, you your teammates to, to, to make sure that you're in that team at the weekend so just just everything about being a footballer you miss really so what else did you feel were you scared about your future was there fear yes. of course there was fear yeah because before you know it you know it, it, it just comes on you so quickly you know I wanted to stay in the game as a as a coach and a, as a manager because that's what I thought I would be be, be good at and uh, I had a, a good uh a good chance at Birmingham City, and we, you know, we won the second division, and we went to Wembley that season. I was the player coach, but uh, you know, they didn't keep me on, and uh, I went up going to Huddersfield, and then you're just scratching around for the game. Then mm-hmm. a game up in Scotland nearly killed me because I had a, I had a wire in me in my hand. Uh, I played a game for Wigan Athletic and broke my hand, and I had a wire put in, and uh, stupidly was contacted. I went up to Scotland to play for Dundee in a game, cut the wire off at the side of my hand and consequently it got infected 
uh, during the course of the two days I was up there. And uh, I had blood poisoning. Uh, I remember driving back down from Scotland with with my arm out the, out the window because it was burning that hot. And uh, if I hadn't gone to hospital back in Liverpool that night, I'd have probably died because the infection was coming right up my arm, past my shoulder. Wow. I was in hospital for 10 days. So, you know, these are the, some of the drastic things that I was trying to do just for the game of football. And it wasn't the money at the time, but just wanted to try and, you know, stay in the game. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of players in my era that struggled afterwards and uh, you know I got this pub I ended up knocking around with the wrong people uh, I, I, I remember my brother finding me one morning with my Everton shirt on uh, sat at the bar crying so you, you're right you know melting, melting illness and uh, it does affect players massively and, and I, I'm guessing back in your day Things might be a bit different now. Back in your day, in the eighties and nineties, people, players, weren't really sharing much about that. If you did feel depressed or scared or lonely, that's not the sort of thing you share with your teammates in the dressing room. Am I right in thinking that? Correct, mate. And I think you know the influx of social media has really helped that side of things. Not just in football, but you know, in life in general. But in our day. You know, there was no Facebook and social media. Uh, so, you know, it's easy to reach out to people, I think, in that aspect. You know, it was it was difficult because if you came across as a bit weak, and I think that's what, you know, if, you, if you're not feeling too good about yourself and your mental state, uh, footballers in them days, it was like you, you, you had to portray yourself being a bit tough, you know, mm. and that was a weakness. Whereas now I think it's a lot easier. You know, sometimes in life, you know, I'll say this honestly, Sam, I didn't prepare financially for time after football. And that was the reason why I, you know, had a bit of a breakdown, I'd say, definitely. Uh, especially when I had the pub. I even tried to go to, well, I went to Australia, tried to make a life out there and, uh, you know, stayed for four months. But because of my age, I was 42 then, I couldn't really uh, get an, a, a visa. Uh, I went, I went down to immigration with my mate Peter Jones, who we were staying with, and he said, uh, "I said, Peter, I want to stay. I said, I'm, I'm going to, you know, try and get a soccer school going, coaching the kids and things like that. I love the country." So he took me down to immigration, and this just shows you uh, scouts, like humour as such, or what happened. We waited, we waited ages, got to the front of the queue, and he stood there with me, and I gave me passport over. I had a week left on my holiday visa. And the girl behind said, uh, what can I do for you? He said, this is me mate, Mark. He said, his holiday days is running out and he wants to stay in the country. And she turned around and said to him, well, he's too old unless he, he proves to this Australian government that he's very, very good at what he does. Uh, and he just looked at him and went, can I swear on this, Sam? Yeah, of course. She went, any good at what he does? Fucking hell, he scored a goal in the derby against the red shite. <laughs> <laughs> so, but this, I was stood there and I looked at him and I thought, and he just said, right over this girl's head. And I just went, pick me passports up and walked away. <laughs> but uh, I always think that, you know, I was in a good place at that time. And, uh, you know, obviously playing in the premiership and being having a good career. I was doing quite well in Australia, but coming back, that was my downfall. And, uh, Financially, I was I was absolutely skint, and uh, that's when 
a lot of my life ended up in turmoil, mate. What was it? When you say you had a breakdown, what? how did that manifest itself? What actually happened? Well, it was at the time, I didn't realise what was happening to me, you know what I mean? Mm. And uh, I, you know, I had a, I had a an, uh, suspected aneurysm. Uh, I was in hospital for two weeks in uh, in Liverpool and I was very, very poorly. So I think the pressure and everything else I was putting myself under to try and make a go of my life, it just come to, you know, it just come on top of me. And uh, I was very, very lucky because when I first went to the hospital, I had this terrible headache as I'd been hit on the, the back of the head with a baseball bat and uh, the pain was excruciating. And luckily enough, the hospital was close and then they thought I had meningitis at first. And then when they rushed me to the Fazakli Hospital, uh, the Neuro Hospital, uh, they'd done a lumbar puncture, which was positive for, for blood. And uh, I was in hospital for two weeks uh, and I was very, very lucky, mate. But I, I always think that that was the pressure that I was putting on myself, uh, you know, to, to get myself up and running once again. You feel under a lot of pressure. Did you feel like people are watching you as well? Do you know what I mean? That sort of feeling where you think, oh, people might think I'm a failure or people might think I've fucked up and that just piles on more pressure. Yeah, exactly. And I'm still trying to live the life as a footballer. Yeah. I've obviously, I got divorced from Jane, which was another big blow. Uh, and uh, she'd had enough of me because I was drinking too much. And uh, I was just, I was a bit of a mess, to be honest. And that's, that was why I went to Australia to try and sort myself out. My brother, my brother, uh, my mum paid for me ticket and, you know, give me a, f- a few quid to go out there with. And, you know, I was in good spirits, but when I come back, especially after the hospital, the two weeks in hospital, and I, I was on a really low, low time of my life. And then people were, look at, were still looking at me thinking, there's Mark Ward, you know, played for Everton, West Ham, Man City. You know, he's still, he's got a few quid, he's still, you know. And uh, like you said, you, you're, trying, you're trying to portray that lifestyle that you, that you have, that you had and you haven't got. And that pressure is enormous, mate. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of blokes, even in in, in other less high profile walks of life, feel that pressure. Um, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. So mm. you know your story, how you wound up in jail, is quite well documented, and it's something I've interviewed you about before. We, you know, I won't make you go through all the details of it again. But for those who don't know, you know, cut a long story short, you fell in with the wrong crowd. You agreed to do a, a favour, effectively, in return for money. Uh, yeah. to, to, to some pretty heavy villains and in the end you had to take the rap um, yeah. you end up in, in jail I think what was it now uh, was it an 8 year sentence you were given well initially it was 12 years when you think about it because I, I pleaded guilty at the first opportunity so you know you can, if you do that you get a, I mean, my barrister to me said listen you know you're going to go to jail so you, you can fight this as much as you want but at the end of the day, if you if you uh, admit the guilt, you get a third of the sentence you you get. Now, you know that was a good thing for me to do because I, w- I was in the wrong, and I got twelve years initially, Sam. So the twelve become an eight, a third off, and then I done four years out of the eight, done half of that. Yeah. So, you know, it's a massive regret of my life, and uh, I think what it did do, I'll be honest with you. It made me a better person, and it made me realise that I've got to sort my life out. Did you, when when you were going through, when when basically you know you were collared, and you know I remember you telling me in the past you, you had no option but to take the rap because the alternative yeah. would have been 
grassing effectively and that would have put you you and possibly your family in a lot of danger i can't imagine what that stress was like were you in fear for your life at any point no not really because i was never going to disclose who i rented the property out for yeah you know when i first did that and my aim was and this is no excuse because when i come out of hospital i met the guy in in my brother's pub i knew i knew about him you know Mm. he wasn't a a great friend he's someone that you know probably have a drink with one afternoon and maybe not see him. And uh, he offered me, he said, he, he asked about Australia. I said, yeah, I want to go back. And uh, it was it was an understanding that, well, listen, rent a house out for me, he said, for six months, and we'll pay you the money and we'll give you a few quid to get back to Australia. Right. And that was my, that was my, uh, that was my plan. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, little did I know at the time that the lads that I was involved with were all under observations by the police and a massive operation called Operation Vatican. And uh, so obviously I was I was brought in on that and, uh, you know, six, nearly six months was over in the, the property and then I, I got collared. Did it in some ways, though, because of the stress you'd been going through after retirement, did prison, in a way, give you a bit of respite at that stage in your life? Yeah, you've done your own work on me, haven't you? So... Like, <laughs> so um, this is what, and this is why you're so good, mate. But you know, it's a great question because everything's took away from you. Yeah. You're right. You, you've got like the only thoughts in my mind were letting all me, you know, let Uber, Uber let down my family, all the, you know, John Lyle, who mm. you know, gone out, you know, to buy me from Olden, Howard Kendall, who I was very close to, and you know, for the first few weeks, you're lying in that bed for 23 hours a day, and like this is all that's coming through your mind, and it's it's obviously a bit embarrassed because you're thinking about you know what people are thinking of you uh, all the players that have played with uh, my family were great because I knew they'd stand by me but yeah it, everything's took away from you and it's just a matter of you know you've got to be mentally strong to be in prison and uh, I always remember when I, I left the uh, the magistrates on the Saturday the solicitor said Mark I think we'll, we'll definitely get bail because you played in every major city in the country he played in a Merseyside derby, a Manchester derby, a London derby, a Birmingham derby. He said so. And then when the when the judge come back, they had a recess and he went, uh, we can't allow bail because of known associates. But obviously they couldn't have allowed me to bail because of the, the ongoing uh, big case, Operation yeah. Vatican. Mm-hmm. So from thinking I was getting bail, and next minute I'm in the, uh, the prison van, I'm going to Walton. So within the space of like a couple of minutes, my life's turned upside down. I thought if I get bail, I'd be able to you know, get a good solicitor, this, that, the other. But that was took away from me. And uh, before I know it, I'm going through the, the big gates at Walton Prison in Liverpool. And my life did turn upside down because it's not a very nice place. So. Was fear always a factor when you're inside? Well, I'd never been in trouble before with the police. And this was all new to me. And I've knew people, I've knew uh, lads, you know, that friends of mine who'd been in prison and, you know, they'd spoke about it. But, uh, you know, yourself, I'm a very strong character, but nothing, I can tell you, nothing prepared me for that. And, you know, the first words, I, I got to the, uh, you go up to the desk and, the, you know, you have to fill a f- few forms and they ask you questions and you have a medical, this, that, the other. And the, there was two screws there waiting for me. And as I walked in, I'd been to a funeral that day. Uh, so I was all still all in my black clothes, and uh, I, I remember the words, and the, uh, one of them just said, 
we've been waiting for you, son. You're going to spend a very long time with us. So that was a bit, you know, I thought to myself, oh, God, I'm going to have to start, you know, looking after myself here. And I just ignored the comments. And then I was thinking when I was getting changed, you know, I wonder if he's a Liverpoolian, mm. you know, because I'm in, I'm in my city and that. But it was hours and hours before I could get uh, allocated. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The cell, because the, the prison at the time was full to the rafters, and uh, when I got all my stuff to go to my cell, my bedding, my towels and things, he said, you're on the lifers ward tonight. Uh, and I absolutely shit myself. And I said, why, why is that? I haven't killed anyone. And he just said, well, there's no room in the, in the remand wing, so you've got to go on the lifers wing. And when I stood, in, I, I walked through the remand wing and I, I knew a few people that were in the prison and they were shouting out and I ended up in front of this big red door that said lifers. And I think at that time, Sam, that was the moment when I thought, what the fuck have I done? <laughs> I nearly dropped me, you know, and I just absolutely shit myself. But <laughs> luckily luckily enough, you know, in this life is you've got the worst people in the world, you know, murderers, everything, you know. And uh, there was two two lads in there who were doing a 16-year stretch for drugs-related crimes. And there was two Scousers, two Evertonians, and they just... Uh, Called me to the, I got called to the cell and he said, listen, Mark, while you're here, you know, we'll look after you. Here's, here's all new stuff. And they, had, they gave me a new towel, new T-shirts and everything because they were the men that run, run that ward, uh, wow. run the ward, yeah. run the, uh, run that. And it was just, that uh, uh, yeah, that wing. So I was very uh, lucky in that aspect. But, and the, the good, you know, people always ask me the question, being a footballer in, in the prison, was it difficult and and it wasn't really because everybody knew who I was and they all knew what I was in for because all the other inmates, no one goes around, you know, on the top of the forehead, like I'm a drug dealer, I'm a murderer, I'm this, that, the other. So in that aspect, it was quite easy for me to, to get on with people. Um, you, and you remained in that prison for the whole sentence, did you? No, I stayed there for 18 months and then, because obviously... You know, Walton was a very brutal place. It was very, uh, you know, I learned from day one that you, you've got to have your wits about you. There was fights galore. There was suicides. I think there was six suicides when I was there. Uh, and it all happened in the space of a couple of months. 
and they try and hide it. And this is this is a massive problem for people when they come to prison. Once that door shut, oh, it's just it's a, such a lonely place. And uh, I was lucky enough to be banged up with a lad that I knew who was already in prison. Uh, they sorted out, so I was in there with him, and uh, and I'd knew him, known him since school. Uh, so kept Paul McGrath, his name was. So you know we got on really well. But a lot of people can't cope with it and take their own lives. And then, then there's, you know, there's always the gauntlet of running the when you go for your food that you're going to have a fight because that's the time when it, it all happens. And did you have to have fights in there? No, never, never won. No, I, I think I was quite proud of the fact that I ended up the number one prisoner, uh, which means like you get a lot more privileges. Mm. And to me, getting get to the gym, I, I landed in the prison in May, and they'd only let me off my bed in the October. And you know the type of character I am. And there was a there was an advertisement to say two competitions at Christmas: the strongest man in the prison and the fittest man. And I turned <laughs> out to I, I turned out to Paul McGrath. I said, "I'm going to win that." He said, "You've got no chance." He said, "You haven't been off your bed for six months." I said, "Just you watch." And uh, so I ended up being the number one prisoner where I could go. I used to do all the diet sheets for the prisoners, clean the mess out with Paul. This, this, that, and the other. But it gave me more chance to get in the gym, so I just battered the gym. And uh, as you know, I won the fittest man in the prison at Christmas, which was a uh, it was tough to win. But you know that got me through a lot of a lot of the time. Talk me through it, mate. What did you have to do? Well, the first test was the bleep test. Yeah. So I think there was about forty-two prisoners lined up, and uh, I was forty-two at the time myself. And uh, anyway, we started, and I got up to level fourteen, fifteen, I think it was. And it was only me and this young kid. He was an ex-boxer, uh, or he, he was a boxer. And uh, I just, I was just in the zone. Sam, I thought he's, he's not going. I'm going I'm to break him. I'm going to get to the line before the bleep. And uh, he, what he done? He, he finished, and I, I kept on going. And the screw was shouting at me, saying, "Mark, finish. You've won it. Finish. Save your, save your energy for the next." And I swear to God, when I stopped, everyone just give me a round of applause because. I was sprinting, mate. And wow. at the end, you know how fast you can go. You know what I mean. It is sprinting, but I prepared myself physically to to win that. Uh, and I think that was part of my mental strength, really, in prison. And just getting those endorphins out every day makes such a huge difference to anyone, whatever level of fitness you're at, right? Oh, without a doubt. Especially, you know, when I was I always remember this, and this is a sad story. The night before, I was offered the, the number one cell. Right, the number one prisoner, he'd had that cell for uh, 18 months, a lad from Stoke, mm. and he was due to leave prison. And uh, he was terrified to go out because apparently someone was waiting for him. So that night, me and Paul were in our cell watching the TV, and we heard old commotion, and he, he'd hung himself, right? Shit. So he'd hung himself. So everyone was locked in then for the, for the police to come in and this, that, and the other. Our cell door got burst open uh, early hours in the morning, and the number the number one screw came to us. He said, "Ward McGrath, do you want the number one cell?" And Paul said, "Gov, he, you know he's only just you know he's only just killed himself and all that." He said, "Listen, there's no do you want it because we'll offer it to somebody else." And I said, "Yeah, we'll have it, Gov, because I knew that was it was going to give me more time in the gym, and it's a horrible thing to think about, yeah. but you know you've got to be brutally honest." And I thought that. That opportunity for me to get more more gin was going to help me mentally get through my prison sentence. So you and just I swear to God. Go on, sorry. Yeah, 
so that and it was so important to me. That's what really not wouldn't say saved me, but got me through it a lot, you know. And uh, I helped when I went to my second prison. You know, I, I ended up being the gym orderly, so I used to put all the all the all the all the uh, exercises out. You know what I mean? On the sessions and everything else. But going back to the lad who killed himself, it was it was weird thinking that someone had just committed suicide the day before, and. Uh, he was on a manslaughter charge, this lad, and the person he killed, the family were, were waiting for him, and uh, he just couldn't, you know, he, mentally he wasn't strong enough to go out into the into the big big old world, and he he just committed suicide. And it, you know, the, the figures that are, are are quite extreme. I think the prisons, uh, the prison bodies don't give the, the the right numbers out because you, you know, we, we were in prison, and there was like I said, there was six in a short space of time in Walton alone. But you, you never, you've never got to that point where you've considered taking your own life or anything. No, mate. No, no. Uh, you know, I've spoke to a lot of people in there because I just thought to myself, listen, Mark, there's only one way to, to, to do your time. That's to do it right. Do all the courses, you know, awareness courses, everything. And I've done all that. And I was helping people myself, you know, because I knew I was a good person. You'd met me myself. Mm. I knew I was a good person. I'd made one big mistake. And I was paying for it, but I wanted to do as well as I could. And uh, obviously, when the publishers wrote to me, uh, there's about five different publishers wrote to me, which that was a surprise to me to write a book. Mm. I think that helped as well, Sam, mm. because that gave me, you know, that book took four years to, to write, right to the end when I was in the last prison. So, you know, it, it was difficult at times because I just wouldn't, wouldn't write for the weeks on end. And then I'd look at all the paperwork I'd wrote. Uh, and I thought, well, don't give up now. And I'm glad I did it because it was good for my soul as well, really. So, you know, to question myself how I did get to that stage. What are the key ways that it changed you when you look back at your whole time? What what, what was the difference between the Mark Ward who went in and the one who came out? Well, great question, mate. I think I'd stopped uh, that sort of... You know, when you've had a life as a footballer and you've, you've had the idea of Lisa playing in front of 50,000 people nearly every week, and it's just that come down, Sam, you know, you've, it's gone. So you've got to try and think to yourself, it's never coming back. So when you can't, you can't match that with anything else, you know, playing football is the best job ever in the world, you know, especially now with the... the with the money, but I played at a great time and a great side at West Ham. We didn't so close to winning it, as you know. Mm. I played with Everton, my boy, you know, my team that I loved, scored an amazing played for Man City, another great side. But you know, to to try and replicate, you know, playing football or, or get the same buzz or you know uh, the joy and everything else, it never happens. So when I come out of prison, I've had that four years writing a book and. And get myself sorted out and I planned I, I worked for the last year on a building site because I wasn't a threat to society and I'd done everything right mm. and uh, fair play to the authorities you know if you behave yourself it's all about your you know getting yourself back into into the uh, mainstream society and I used to leave the uh, the prison every morning and go back and work and uh, I come out with about six thousand pound I was on like a uh, the least, what is it called? The the the, the least money. It's like eight pound an hour. Yeah, minimum yeah, wage. So, minimum wage, mm. uh, and it's a great way to to for people to get back 
and with a little bit of support because I've always said this and I've spoke quite a lot about prison. Prisoners come out of prison and I, I applied for jobs when I come out, but obviously a lot of people knew who I was, but when I put down that I would been in prison, because you've got you've got to put that out there, I didn't hear nothing. Mm. And it was only people that I've, from from ex, ex, you know West Ham fans and Everton people, you know that supported the club, that knew me. That how that's how I've been I've been in employment. And even now, I work for Capital Water. It's a, a treatment water treatments company. I'm, I'm in Wales at the moment, mm. working in all the hospitals, putting the water in for the renal dialysis. Phil Jones, my boss, he's a big West Ham fan. Right. I met Phil years ago, and he said, Mark. Listen, son, I know what you're all about. You're a grafter. I trusted the days long. He said, if you ever come down and want to live in, in London, I'll give you a job. And I've been here two years now. And uh, it's the people like him. You know, I wouldn't have a job. And that's what I always say. Prisoners need, they need the roof over their head and a job to support themselves. Otherwise, nine times out of ten, Sam, what do they do? A lot of them go back to all what they were doing before. So there's no point letting people out unless you're going to give them some sort of support because if not, they're just going around in circles. Exactly, mate. You know, and I, I've been lucky. The football fraternity, like, you know, West Ham invited me. I was, was only out a couple of weeks and I, I went to a game and uh, I met all my ex-players there, Devonshire, mm. Tony Gale, Alvin Martin. And, you know, I've got to say this while I'm, I'm doing this. You know, the West, my West Ham team from 86... They contacted my brother and said to Billy, right, Mark is in his uh, last year now and I, ne I needed transport so I could get from Preston Prison to Liverpool, not far, like 40 minutes each day because I could work out. But until I got a car, I couldn't do that. And the, the boys had the, you know, they got together and they sent me brother the money so we could buy a little car for me to go to work every day. And I just thought, how, how unbelievable is that? You know, them lads didn't turn the back on me. The club didn't. And uh, without them, you know, to this day, we speak we speak to each other all the time. And uh, that shows you the camaraderie and the team spirit that we still have. Yeah, it is in a, it's, it's like an institution, that team. And um, it is amazing what you've all done for each other. I mean, obviously, it's very close to my heart, that team. And, and, I, and yeah. I'm very aware through knowing you and some of the other lads, just that how close, how tight-knit you are. Dad, don't know if that still exists in football teams today to be honest um well that's a sad part of it sam yeah. you know and you know i got letters one off billy bonds i let it off billy bonds mm. now one person i thought of you know when you, i was first in prison in the first few weeks was the likes of john lyle howard kendall and bonzo was in the back of my mind because billy was the straightest man you've ever met yeah a legend an, an icon and me and Billy got on great. And I, and you know, when you're lying in bed of a night and you can't sleep, I'm thinking, what would Billy Bonds be thinking of me? Yeah. And I thought, I'll never be able to look him in the eye again. Now, he sent me a letter. And the man is, is a man of few words, Sam. And I always remember the letter. And it said, dear Mark, thinking of you, Bill. That was it. But that yeah. letter meant so much to me. And then on the same day, Tony Gale, the good mate, his letter said, Dear short ass, <laughs> thinking of you, uh, how you can escape? Just crawl under the door, you midget. And his letter was exactly was just the opposite to Billy's. Yeah. You know, Billy's made me fill up, and I, I was like dead proud of it. And Tony just made me laugh. Yeah. And uh, you know, I was lucky in that aspect where the football uh, fraternity never turned the back on me. 
is there's a lesson there for everyone, I think. Like, when you see a mate who's fallen on hard times or made a mistake, it's yeah. so good to reach out to them in even the smallest way. You don't have to say a lot or do a lot, do you? Just to sort of show, listen, I'm still your mate is a oh. massive lesson that I mean I'm hearing you say it and it's really touching but I think yeah. when people are at their like we always talk on this podcast and it's about you know reach out to your mates let them know they're there for you but I think it's so powerful when a mate has clearly gone through something really bad and yeah. might be feeling guilty and you, we've all had those feelings we think everyone's judging me no one's going to yeah. want to know me anymore that is the time where you can reach out and really make a difference to someone's state of mind Sam, you couldn't have said it any better. And, you know, one of the biggest regrets was the fact that John Lyle died while I was in prison. You know, I, could, I couldn't go to his funeral and I'd had letters from his, his lad Murray uh, and support and everything else. And uh, I was really disappointed that I couldn't do that. And uh, obviously, but one of the big things for me was Howard Kenlow was very close to, don't forget he signed me twice mm. for a million pounds and uh, what a great manager. And when I was in the Rochdale prison after Liverpool, um, I got a message from the governor to say Howard Kendall, Duncan Ferguson and Tommy Griffiths, which is Howard, Ke Howard Kendall's mate, was coming to visit me. So, And I was so nervous the night before. And I thought to myself, you know, what's he going to say to me? And uh, so when I walked into the visits, uh, I sat at the table and uh, Howard walked in with Big Duncan and uh, Tommy. And he just sat there, looked at me and he said, Mark, I'm just going to say this to you, son. Nothing's changed between me and you. I'm here for you now, and I'm here for you when you get out. And I just thought to myself, how, you know, the man was just a great footballer, coach, mm. and, you know, it's just a, a great human being. And like you said, that, that support from him was unbelievable for me. And uh, he said, I don't want to know who, when, where, or why. Nothing's changed. So I'm here for you now, and I'm here for you when you get out. And he was. And to me, I knew, you know... I miss John Lyle to this day and I think he'd have been the same but you know God rest his soul he died while I was in there but you're right when people are in prison you're at the lowest of your, you know lowest of the low and you need people to support you to give you an opportunity for when you get out to give you an opportunity not to make the same mistake again and get on with your life well I'm glad things are better for you these days mate I mean we all still have ups and downs whatever's going on but uh, do you feel like a much stronger person when it comes to things like your mental health these days oh without a doubt yeah you know uh, you look at the Covid like a lot of people now I've got a lot of friends back in Liverpool and a lot of me mates they just want to go to the pub and this is all new to them you know freedom you've, you've lost your bit of freedom haven't, haven't we and so We've got to be disciplined to get rid of this COVID. <clears throat> I had my injection last week because we, we do a lot of work in the NHS hospitals. So um, I just hope everybody does the same thing uh, and let's get back to normality. That's right, mate. Um, well, I'm glad you're busy. I'm glad your life's very much back on track. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Sam. Cheers, All right. mate. Brilliant. All right, well, All let's right, hope then. we can see each other soon, mate. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that. Stuart Pearce once described Wardy as the toughest opponent he ever faced. He's had to be tough to bounce back from all those mistakes he's made and the challenges he's faced in life. But as you've heard, he's very open about his vulnerabilities too. Hearing him talk about the impact that even the smallest messages of support made when he was at his lowest ebb is a reminder to all of us. Keep an eye out for your pals when you think they might be struggling. When they're at their lowest, just a short text can sometimes make the world of difference. 
Remember to subscribe to the Reset newsletter at samdelaney.substack.com. You'll get my weekly letter about mental health and all that sort of palaver emailed to you for free, plus this podcast dropped into your inbox too every Wednesday. Thanks again for listening. Take it easy. And remember, don't let the dickheads get you down. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.